We've been sleeping. We've had each other and Ferrix, our work, our days. We had each other and they left us alone. We kept the trade lanes open and they left us alone. We took their money and ignored them. We kept their engines churning and the moment they pulled away, we forgot them. Because we had each other. Once again, Bucketheads, Mayvar Jigar. Welcome to the 184th rabble-rousing, rebellious episode of Mandavision. Nargai Tom, and thank you so much for checking out this small, independent Star Wars podcast. We are so glad you're here to discuss the season finale of Andor. Holy smokes. <laughs> Woo! Well, remember, the best way to reach out to us is, of course, via social media. We are on Instagram and Twitter. You can email the show, email the show, mandavisiontom at gmail.com. Please be sure to like, subscribe. Share and follow the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. How is everyone doing? Welcome to the final installment of Andor Wednesdays, a, a, a title I cannot, for the life of me, <laughs> improve at this moment in time. I will work on that. I, that is my mission. Heading into Season 2 of Andor, I will workshop that title to no end. Trust me on that one. <laughs> How is everyone doing? We are here to talk about the final episode of Season one of Andor. Uh, just what a great series this has been for so many, many reasons. Not the least of which is is just the different point of view that we're getting uh, on 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 Star Wars at this point, on on the galaxy at large, on the Empire, on how the rebellion takes shape. Uh, it's been a very, very interesting journey. It's been fascinating. I think each episode has. Uh, ramped up, increased the tension, increased the stakes, and and just delivered one of the finest Star Wars shows we've all had the privilege of watching thus far. And, uh, I, I mean, we, we the show progresses in such a lovely, lovely way that all of our characters end up in a new place by the end of it so that we are, we are 180 degrees away from where we started in the first episode of the season, particularly by the end of the, far, those, the first arc. You know, by the end of episode three, all, a lot of our characters... Um, were very different from what happened in the, that episode to where they end up now, and it, it's it's a it's, it's just a wonderful example of what happens when you have 
just fantastic preeminent writers, you know, with with the story in mind. You know, this Andor's two seasons. They know where they want to go. They know the journey they what they want to put Andor and the rest of this this cast of characters through, and they're doing it in a very unique and interesting way. And and I just have been delighted by this season of the show, and and perhaps uh, most importantly, <laughs> knowing that. Uh, you know, last week on the show when we were talking about uh, that episode on episode 11 and, and the off-screen death of, of Marva played fantastically by Fiona Shaw, I was sad that, that Fiona Shaw would not be in the show any further. Little did I know that Fiona Shaw <laughs> would do Fiona Shaw things and just be utterly fantastic and deliver yet another stellar piece of what I am sure will become a very famous Star Wars dialogue. Uh, it is. I, I don't know if you could have picked a better actor to to deliver the lines that that she gave in her self eulogy. Uh, that we open this episode with, and that we will use now to transition into our conversation about the show. What I do want to remember, or I'm sorry, what I do want to do, I, what I want to point out, what I want to get off the table. We this episode it may feel a little rushed. Uh, I may not get into things as in, in in the sort of general the 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 sort of uh, hyper detail that I like to sometimes, where I like to, you know, focus on one particular thing, kind of expound on it, kind of endlessly. <laughs> I can't do that today. I'm on a bit of a time crunch. Uh, I am only I am only several hours away from uh, boarding a plane and going on vacation, uh, visiting family for the holiday. So if you are celebrating Thanksgiving, I do wish you a happy Thanksgiving and and. Uh, uh, I hope you enjoy the time off at the very least. Hopefully you get a nice extended you know, weekend out of all this and, and go do Black Friday fun on, on Friday. <laughs> yeah, so I'll be uh, ready, rushing to the airport here uh, in just a few hours, and I still have many, many things to do. So I do apologize if the show feels a bit rushed today. Uh, we're going to try and get to everything as best we can. Uh, and you know that when we get back, we'll probably end up having a big wrap-up on Andor. Uh, with one of our good friends on the podcast, as it is. So I don't think we're done with Andor just yet. Uh, but that being said, since I will be out of town for an extended period of time, we we may not have a show next week. To be TBD, I'll keep you posted on that. Uh, we'll see what happens in the interim. But, yes, let's go ahead, get into Andor, the season finale of season one. Let's get into our particulars, all right? This episode, written... By Tony Gilroy, directed by Benjamin Caron. Our plot this week: Cassian returns home to Ferrex, a tinderbox that has experienced a spark of rebellion. Our principal cast, of course, Diego Luna, Selen Skarsgård. Uh, the, the, it's it's all of them. It's, I mean, it's, this cast is just so darn impressive. They've all done such a great job. I, I, as usual, I feel bad singling out Diego Luna and Selen Skarsgård, but Fiona Shaw is also in this episode and is, is incredible. We get uh, it's it's just everybody, everybody brings the good. Genevieve O'Reilly, even even with the limited time that she has, is fantastic. Um, <laughs> Denise Gaw as 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 Deidre Marrow. Everyone isn't getting enough attention here that they deserve, but know that they deserve it. So yes, this is Andor, season one, episode twelve, Rick's Road, original air date today, November twenty third, two thousand twenty two. And it's time. Strap on your buckets. Let's go. I've been sleeping. And I've been turning away from the truth I wanted not to face. 
there is a wound that won't heal at the center of the galaxy. There is a darkness reaching like rust into everything, into everything around us. We let it grow, and now it's here. It's here, and it's not visiting anymore. It wants to stay. The Empire is a disease that thrives in darkness. It is never more alive than when we sleep. It's easy for the dead to tell you to fight. And maybe it's true, maybe fighting's useless. Perhaps it's too late. But I'll tell you this. Could do it again. I'd wake up early and be fighting these bastards from the start. Fight the Empire! Whew. Speeches don't get much more rousing than that. And uh, talk about a way to incite some civil unrest amongst the populace uh, that is being <laughs> just suppressed by a totalitarian regime like the Empire. Oh, baby, that one got me going. That is, again, going to go down as one of the great speeches in Star Wars, one of the great pieces of dialogue in Star Wars, just like uh, Luthen's dialogue from a couple of episodes ago. Uh, that is an all-timer for Star Wars. And, again, just showing the uh, master at work, Tony Gilroy himself, doing great, great things with this script and really um, just putting new depth and complexity in, into Star Wars in, in such an enjoyable in incredible way. Uh, this episode, as I mentioned before, just continues to ratchet up the tension, but this time it's on a, a, the, the scale for the episode's tension is is across Ferrix, right? It's it's palpable. It, it is it is it reminded me of that moment in Rogue One when 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 Cassian tells Jen Erso that that a Jedi is is a powder keg and it's ready to blow. That is very much the feeling we get in this episode. For Ferrix, uh, so now you know how he knows that feeling, <laughs> because it is uh, it, it, that is you're waiting for that inciting moment, right? Like the episode opens um, with with the son of of the rebel agent, the one who the the ISB killed, uh, interrogating, building a bomb, and you know when a bomb gets built in the first moments of that ep of, of a show or a movie, you know that bomb's getting used, right? Like it's it's just a matter of time uh, of of when everyone in, in, in Ferrix will, will be sprung into action. And, and that bomb, uh, much like Fiona Shaw's speech, much like Marva's speech, uh, is the inciting incident for violence to rise up against the oppressors of the Empire. And, and the sense of community that the show has, has given to Ferrix, you know, these are all characters, we're, you know, we're, we're connected back with characters that we saw a lot of in the first arc. Uh, and then we would kind of check back in subsequently on on, on uh, small our, our small peaks into what's been going on on Ferrix since Cassian left, since the Empire arrived, and put their their time on things. So it's all these familiar faces, and you sort of have to kind of remember all their connections, all the way that Cassian interacted with them previously, uh, because charting Cassian's growth is really reflective in in how he is with them now in this episode. Go back and see when he would be on Ferrix in the first three episodes, when he returned to Ferrix um, after the Altani heist. Uh, he is a changed man 
his experiences have changed him in, in a very profound and deep way. You know, we see him sitting, uh, listening to, to Nemec's recording, right? The, the, the sort of manifesto that Nemec had created on uh, ultimately finishing to some extent on Aldhani before the heist, before he was crushed by the crippling oppression of financial burdens brought on by the empire in a very literal fashion. Um, it, it, it's, it's fascinating to, to, to kind of check on these touchstones in the, in the first season of the show, seeing where Cassian was in episodes one, two, three, seeing where he was when he returned to Aldhani, or when he returned to Ferex after Aldhani, uh, and, and where he is now when he comes back to Aldhani. Oh my God, when he comes back to Ferex. Uh, he has learned a lot. His his experiences on Narkina Five have shaped him in in the, in a very profound way, uh, and he is a very different person than when he left Ferrix the last time. Um, and the links he goes to to sort of make amends and and do right by these people to get them off planet, to to get away from the Empire because he knows that now he sees it now. He's aware this is because of him. There this the, they have been looking for him for a long long time. And I, it's one of the one of my favorite things to talk about on the show was was sort of like this idea that would the Empire ever figure out that they had Cassian Andor in custody? And through the first uh, <laughs> first season of the show, they they still have no idea. Which again, I think is a is is a very interesting statement on on uh, the just the the red tape of bureaucracy and 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 how there's there's just far too much of it. And when there's far too much red tape, you can't get much done, can you? Oh boy. All right, we're going we're gonna to pause on, on Cassian talk and, and Ferex talk because I want to talk about some of our other characters uh, in this episode. You know, we spend a lot of time in, on, in, in what the, the plot description called a tinderbox of Ferex and, and watching uh, that, that those elements come to, kind of come together and what sparks the rebellion on, on Ferex. Uh, but we have other characters we have to check in. Not everybody is on Ferex in this episode, though 99% of them are. You know, everyone's converged. Senta, Vel, Luthen... Uh, Deidre Marrow, uh, Cyril, Cyril Karn, everyone, you know, a lot of our characters are on Ferex looking for Cassian or waiting for Cassian to fall into the trap that they have baited for him. But we have to go back to Coruscant. We have to check in on Mon Mothma's situation. Uh, Mon doesn't have a ton of screen time in this episode, but what what she has is, is uh, impactful, and Genevieve O'Reilly says a lot without having to say a single word in a lot of these performances. Uh, just the, the way she carries herself, the, the energy, the attitude she conveys with her, just her looks, <laughs> you know? It, it, it's just, there's so much going on there. Uh, the first thing we see them in, in this episode is her waiting in the, in the back of her, uh, her car, her hovercraft, if you will, or space, I don't know. I don't know. Her vehicle, her mode of transport, waiting for Perrin to leave another... Uh, one percenter, super elitist party, and uh, her driver, who we know is is working for the ISB, who monitors Mon and reports back to the ISB on a regular basis about her activities, her comings and goings. Uh, she asks for silence so that she can have a conversation with her husband, knowing full well that he will be listening in. And what she does is a lot of the things that Luthen said she was going to have to do to get her hands dirty to make this rebellion a real thing. And she starts to sort of spin a yarn uh, that she knows the ISB will run with. And that is putting a lot of the blame on the financial irregularities in Mon Mothma's accounts on Perrin's gambling, which I thought was so cold. <laughs> and, and, and sort of 
just another level of, of that unloving marriage that they're in is that she's willing to pin uh, her her financial distress, the the potential exposure of her moving money around to the rebellion. She's willing to pin it on Perrin and, and gambling issues, gambling debts that he's incurred on Coruscant, despite promises to do otherwise, despite promises to not do these things in Coruscant in the public eye where it can fall back on her. You know, she even has a line about uh, like if you have to, you know, go to Canto Bight and do what you must do if you must do it, and it, it's just one of those lines. It's so stinging and so biting, and and parents denying, denying, denying. But I, I Genevieve O'Reilly, Asmon Mothma, just does such a convincing job of of showing a, a a wife who is fed up and doesn't believe her her lying gambling husband anymore. And this is the story that her driver takes back to the ISB. To paint for Blevins, the the supervisor who we we haven't seen in several episodes, but is still uh, uh, very involved in monitoring of Mon Mothma and trying to get leverage on her and, and and know more about her and maybe put her in a position where she can't be as outspoken against the Emperor on various topics. So he seems very keen to know more about this situation. The next time we catch him, with, we check up with Mon and Perrin, uh, is when they're escorting their daughter Lyda to meet uh, a. a Davos Golden's son, the introduction that was teased several episodes ago, uh, and then sort of underlined a little bit last episode when we find out that the old ways, the traditional Chandrillan uh, arranged marriages, is something that Lyda, for reasons that baffle most of us, <laughs> is into. And, and, and we see that introduction being made so that we can get the, the, the sense that, again, she is... is damning her husband to take the fall for the financial irregularities that are now in her accounts and in a sense damning her daughter to uh, a loveless life and a loveless marriage uh, by having one of these these arranged courtships with the son of Davos Golden the the sort of who she described as a thug so he's criminal element of some sort uh, a kingpin of some kind perhaps uh, and there she's about to tie their families together to smooth over any future financial transactions that Mon has to make in order to fund Luthen's Rebel Network and the growing rebellion across the galaxy. Uh, I talked about last week about how there's such an, an underscore of sadness to Mon Mothma's story, uh, and that is even more so in this episode, as she does the things that she spent all season trying to avoid doing, trying to stay noble, trying to keep her hands clean, trying to keep her dresses out of the mud. And she has to get in there in the muck with with Luthen and the other members of the of the rebellion across the galaxy, uh, she has to get a little 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 uh, dirt on her hands now, and it's it's sad to to see a character who wants to be noble and virtuous uh, have to do things that's against their moral code, against their the, the their moral fiber. Uh, so a, a fascinating end to to her arc for the season, uh, and it puts her in a place where maybe she's l- looking a little bit less over her shoulders next season on season two, uh, and maybe getting more involved in, in, in making things happen with the Rebellion as she's able to move money around, hopefully a little bit easier, unless Davos starts to figure out what's going on and maybe he tries to put um, the screws to her a little bit. I guess we'll find out how that relationship pans out in Season 2, so something to look forward to on that note. Also in this episode, we catch up with our good friend Cyril Karn, <laughs> who, uh, listen, Cyril and Dedra and Luthen and Vel and Senta, you know, they're all there for Cassian. And everything centers around Marva's funeral. 
and the funeral itself is is this wonderful uh, sort of moment of, of, of just exploring more fully the, the culture of Ferrix and kind of getting to know more about these people and their customs. You know, the idea of being bricked. We see the brick that Marva's ashes are now in and, and the funeral procession, procession that makes its way through the heart of the town down Rick's Road. Rick's Road, which has been referenced before in, in, the, in the show, talking about all the times that Marva's been there. Uh, uh, a Clem, Cassian's adopted father, the moments there, and and you know we see we see Cassian touching the brick, uh, where Clem, where his remains were interred, and having that flashback to that moment uh, in his childhood when when Clem was teaching him about uh, how to clean up rust, and and there's plenty of, of parts here in the galaxy. You don't need to go buy a new one for six times the price. Uh, these just these wonderful teaching moments that that a young boy would would have with his father growing up, um, and and and. Again, sort of showing that connection that Cassian will always have to Ferrix. Uh, you know, his father is there. His mother died there. Uh, but he knows it's now time to help his friends in, in the way that he had been promising when we first met him in episodes 1, 2, and 3. But to actually do it now. It's, it was time to deliver, time to step up and, and be uh, the better friend, right? The one who, who, you know, for years had promised to pay you back but never had any real intention of it. Now is the time to, del- to deliver, and step up and, and get your friends out of the mix that you put them in. When you first, when you went to Morlana One and killed those those corset guys, and then when you went to Aldhani and pulled off another heist there, where that 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 tightens Imperial screws on your on your homeworld even more so. Uh, let's just get to it. Like when rebellion is incited on Ferrix and everyone steps up to the plate again, the 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 powder keg, the tinderbox, whatever you want to call it. That, that tension had been mounting and mounting and mounting. And Marva's speech, getting everyone fired up, watching the way the Empire reacts to that speech about how the officer in charge freaks out, flips B2 emo over, wants the, this, the crowd dispersed, but it's too late. They're hot. And then that bomb goes off. And that's when all of our action really drives itself forward. But before that moment even, let's talk about Senta, Vel, and Luthen on Ferrix. Senta Senta. She is doing her thing. She is focused on following her targets, on following Corv. And now that Deidre Mero is there, she's been following her. So much so that she does not go to pick up Vel from the from the, the, the shuttle terminal when, when they arrive. Uh, which stings Vel in a way that is uh, predictable. But again, underscore, underscores that Senta is in the fight. And doesn't re- the, the, the relationship is secondary. What I want to talk about is, you know, we talked about Genevieve O'Reilly's wonderful acting without saying anything. Uh, that is Stellan Skarsgård in this episode. Luthen, as he watches the funeral procession, again, waiting for his opportunity, his plan that he t- relays to Vel and Senta is like, great, the ISB is here. They'll capture Andor and we'll kill him because they're not going to want to, they, they want him taken alive. So they'll let the ISB do all the hard work. So, so Luthen is sort of observing these things. He's, he's watching the funeral procession, the marching band that comes into town, the way the, the prominent members of society, the Daughters of Ferrix, this whole wonderful cultural experience is happening. Uh, and then he's listening to Marva's self-eulogy. And again, whenever the camera cuts to Stellan Skarsgård as Luthen, pay attention. Try to get into his head. See what you think he's thinking. Um... And I, I think it's like some pretty profound stuff there. He's seeing the effect firsthand 
that that sacrificing these worlds, that that creating more oppression against them has caused. And I, and I think it, it, it touches him in a way. And he sees that it's now riling the people up. He's getting what he wants. It's actually working the way he wants it to. But he's also now getting to experience it firsthand by being on the ground right in the middle of the powder keg. So when that bomb goes off, uh, I mean, it, 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 is, it is symbolic in, in, in so many more ways than just as, as a way to kick off the action of the show. But it's, it's symbolic in the sense that, like, now the rebellion has begun. Uh, it's a it's a very interesting interesting moment. Uh, Ded Romero in the mix, also trying to smoke out Cassie and Andor, Cyril Karn and and his his former sergeant. They're trying to redeem themselves. And as the violence breaks out, as the riots begin, uh, Dedra knocked to the ground on the verge of being trampled, of uh, being torn apart limb from limb for just for being an, for being an imperial. Uh, <laughs> Is ushered away from the crowd, her gun taken from her, seemingly held against her back, and then shuttled away from the crowd in, into into safety. We see her; she's shaken. She's you know the adrenaline, the 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 fear that like, she was she knows she was gonna die, uh, to find out that she has been saved by Cyril Karn, a man she dismissed and told to stay away, and now is in a position to grant him a favor. <laughs> it would be my assumption moving forward here. Cyril Karn doesn't get the redemption that he wants against Cassie and Endor in this episode. Uh, it more so he gets in the good graces of a very a prominent uh, ISB supervisor in Ded Romero, who I suspect they will have a very different relationship when we move into season two. Uh, as for his former sergeant, Cyril Karn was quick to leave him behind to, to improve his station because he saw an opportunity to rescue Ded Romero from the crowd, get her away from the violence. What's also wonderful about this scene, as the civil unrest is happening, the way that Cassian is using it to move through the hotel. Uh, it's, it's similar to the plan that we heard discussed between Bix and, 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 and Brasso when they were when they were when Marva wanted to know about the old pipes beneath the hotel so that the rebellion could get inside and kill the Empire. This is what Cassian uses to get into the hotel, to move around, to to get to Bix, to save Bix and, and rescue her from from more imperial torture as, as a way to kind of pay her back for leaving her high and dry the last time he was on Ferrix. So he's using all these, this, this, the, the backdrop of his mother's funeral and, and the uprising of the people of Ferrix to, to rescue his friend. And then they all plan to fall back to the shipyard where, again, he was trying to steal ships, you know, in the first couple of episodes of the show. Uh, and now Pelgo was willing to help him and willing to help the, shuttle them, as many of them as they can, off planet. Uh, and, and, Cassian gets them off planet, doesn't go with them, but he knows that they'll be safe. He promises to find them. Bix believes him. Uh, probably now, maybe for the first time in a long time, Bix believes the things that Cassian Endor says because of what she, what he has done for her this time around, coming back for her and getting her out of that situation that she found herself in. Um, it's, it's just, it's so many wonderful pieces of, of moving characters around from A to B, but in just very convincing, real ways. It's it's masterfully scripted, masterfully executed, and the, again the performances. You know, I don't know a ton of the actors they got in the show. You recognize a lot of faces, um, but they're they're character actors, and they're doing serious character work in, in this show. You know, not every familiar face that we know lives. Uh, there is there's the 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 mole, right? The the one who's working for Corv, 
uh, who's giving information back to the ISB because he's trying to improve his station life. He's one of the characters who gets blown up in the, in the hotel when all the grenades go off. Uh, a lot of the other familiar faces around Ferex, they don't make it out of this alive either. You know, the civil unrest, the 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 fear of the Empire lashing out now against in the face of this rebellion. Because again, much like on Narkina Five, the numbers are in the favor of the people. Uh, it's it's through sheer uh, firepower and willingness to just fire on unarmed people that the Empire is hoping to regain order on Ferex. Uh, we we are sort of left wondering just what state. Ferex is in at the end of this episode as, as, as the fighting kind of continues and rolls on throughout the day. Uh, but it, it's just a really just wonderful look at, at, at when, a, when a society, when a civilization, when, when a people have reached a breaking point with, with tyranny and oppression in their, in their lives. Uh, and again, Stellan Skarsgård says so much without saying a thing as he's listening to Marva's, uh, again, self-eulogy and, and the, the, the moments to fire everything up. There's a lot of great moments in the, in this episode, and I've, I know I've kind of glossed over a few things, but casting with Brasso underneath the tu- in the in the tunnels, talking to him, trying to apologize for the wrongs that he's done, and and Brasso Brasso bringing bringing like Marva's one of Marva's final 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 words about Cassian, you know, knowing that uh, I don't I don't want to use the I don't want to play all the I'm not going to play the clips from it. Uh, but it's so powerful, so impactful, that no matter what Cassian's done, she knows that he can do more good, and he will do more good, and that he's just the the spark that things that things needed to get going. Um, so even from beyond the grave, Marva's able to get help get Cassian on the path that we know he's going to get on, uh, and direct him to, and, and sort of direct his energies in the right way. You know, she's always believed in him, and now he has the experiences and the drive to do the things he needs to do now. Like, he is more in the fight now than he went to Aldhani. He was a hired hand on Aldhani. But he's been changed. He's been changed by his experiences on Narkina 5. He's been changed by Marva's passing, by seeing what his actions have wrought on his homeworld of Ferex, a, fer- a place he has an intense connection to, as is reestablished in this episode, when he touches uh, his father, when he touches Clem's brick in the wall. All, all these things are, are just masterfully, masterfully done and insanely well executed. And Diego Luna puts in, I, you know, it's it's so funny. Diego Luna is absolutely fire in the show. He's fantastic. I think sometimes he gets a little overshadowed, unfairly, a little unfairly, uh, because he's bringing the goods just as hard as as Stellan, as just as good as Fiona Shaw, uh, as Genevieve O'Reilly. So keep that in mind. He is our central character, but he's also delivering massively excellent performances. So. Having that moment in the tunnels with with uh, with Basso is is awesome, uh, and and the way Basso delivers those lines, Marva's final words to him, and the impact it has on him. Again, more acting without saying a word on Diego Luna's face, just masterful, absolutely masterful. Uh, I I can't get enough of this this show, uh, and I look forward to rewatching this episode on the plane today because <laughs> I've already downloaded it to my tablet. So don't think I'm not watching it again today when I'm on a plane. You know I am. Hopefully, uh, I'm not going to get into my travel details, but <laughs> let's let's just hope no one interrupts me. We'll put it that way. <laughs> uh, and then we get to our our, our final moment. Uh, um, you know, Luthen trying to leave the scene. Uh, he's he's moved on. He they he doesn't seem all that interested in in, in pursuing casting at this point. Casting seems to have, you know, I don't think Luthen ever really just. Dis- 
discovers what if Andor's even actually there. Um, but he's been outmaneuvered, and it's time to get out of there. With the, with the, there will be more Imperial forces dispatched to Ferex. It's time to get Senta and Vel out there, cleaning up their location, moving on. Senta does kill Korv, by the way. Uh, the great scene with them tailing each other, and and uh, Senta gets a drop on him, gives him a nice little sh uh, Star Wars shiv. That was fun. But yeah, Luthen returns to his ship, returns to the Fondor, planning to leave. And we know he's not alone. And he's not. And, you know, Cassian figures out, that, you know, he asks him directly, did you come here to kill me? Because here's my blaster, so you can kill me or turn me in. Uh, and it's this wonderful moment, again, not saying a word, just the expression on his face, the little uh, smirk, the little grin that he gives, knowing that this Cassian Andor that stands before him now is different than the Cassian Andor that stood there uh, with him in episode three of the show. Um, the transformation that he's been through. I, you know, I think we, we all know. <laughs> it's, it's not a surprise that, no, Cassian Andor is going to go under, under uh, um, Luthen's wing now at this point and become an asset, become a vital member of the burgeoning rebellion in the galaxy. But it's just a really powerful way to end your season. Um, and again, it's not a cliffhanger. We know where it's going. But to have Andor put his cards on the table and say, kill me or turn me in, here's my gun, do it. And and for it to register with Luthen the way that it does, that whatever's happened since Aldhani, the man before him now is a new person. And of weapon. I think it's, Luthen sees people as, as commodities and tools, and I think now he sees a weapon uh, in, in Cassian Andor. And that is going to be fun to see get played played around with next season, uh, as I was as I would imagine Diego Luna and, and Cassian Andor will have much more of a uh, uh, um, um, what's the word I want to use for the relationship? I think they'll have it's more of like like a handler and, and, a, and an operative kind of relationship. You know, it's going to be very more very, very much spy spy relation spy a spy type relationship, like you know M in Bond. It's going to be like that, I think, on a, obviously a much smaller scale, but. Yeah, things are change, have changed so much, and now our characters find themselves all in such interesting places moving forward. You know, do we get, do we catch up with B two emo and, and the rest of the Ferrex refugees now who 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 hightailed it out of there after the civil unrest? Um, you know, maybe in some in some capacity, but I think now we move into the galaxy at large in season two. You know, Mon has has secured financing for the Rebel Network at, at the cost of you know <laughs> putting her husband in the Imperial crosshairs. And her daughter into a loveless, Chandrilan, uh, uh custom arranged marriage. Custom, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> uh, a traditional arranged marriage of of Chandrilan standards, I guess. If you if you want to go real formal with it. Um, um, so so, really, what's going to happen next is going to be really pivotal, really exciting stuff. Uh, and I do believe season two has begun filming overseas, and. I can't wait. I hope it the I hope the wait isn't too long, because I would really love for this show to be back next fall. But I guess we'll see how that goes, right? You know, you never know with some of these Star Wars productions. They they it seemed like the Andor production took quite a while, and that may have been due to like COVID regulations and things like that, which hopefully have improved uh, for filming times. So maybe maybe our window now will shrink down a bit. But oh, just a just a wonderful show, just absolutely wonderful. 
The, the acting was top-notch. The writing, directing, to all top-notch jobs done on this show. But uh, it, it, I don't want to make an unfair comparison to The Mandalorian because I think we all know. I love The Mandalorian. You love The Mandalorian. We all love The Mandalorian. We all enjoyed Book of Boba Fett to varying degrees of, of, of enjoyment. But Andor is different. Uh, Andor touches on so many things in so many different ways. Uh, it is complex. It is deep. It is dense. It is character-driven, but doesn't sacrifice the action, the building of tension, the the uh, the themes, the narratives that we're getting into, the idea of, of of what it takes to start a rebellion in the face of overwhelming oppression, the idea of of, of oppression happening when you're not even paying attention. Um, it's it's just there, there's so much to get into, and I, I really really look forward to rewatching the series uh, over over the course of the next month or so. Uh, just kind of at a leisurely pace, just kind of soaking it all in, letting it wash over me. Uh, this is a different kind of Star Wars show, and I am here for it all day, all night. It is exceptional. Please, if you have the time on the holiday weekend, rewatch at the very least this episode. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> rewatch the whole series by and large as well, okay? Uh, I don't think I have much more I want to say about the show at the moment. Like I said, I do suspect we will come back and do a, a whole wrap-up on the series with one of our good friends. And and by then, I'll, I'll have more notes on what I maybe forgot to get to in this episode. Because, um, again, there's a lot. But I love it so, so much. And and uh, wonderful. Wonderful show. Go check it out. All right. Let's get out of here. Like I said, I got I got... I got travel. <laughs> I got to get prepared for. So everyone, have a great holiday weekend. If you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, if you're in an international and it doesn't apply to you, just have a great weekend, okay? Y'all take care of each other. Be great Star Wars fans. Be supportive of each other. Don't get into any of these teardown arguments. Uh, Twitter's turned into a crazy place. We may shift away from Twitter at some point soon. We don't know yet. We haven't. That decision has not been made. I will keep you posted on that. But... Be a great Star Wars fan. Be kind and supportive and and just be awesome and encourage them. If they have not watched Andor, they are missing one of the best shows on television in the year 2022. All right, it's November. I can say that now. One of the best shows. My favorite show of 2022. And it's if it's not in your top five, or if it's not in their top five, tell them you got a top five show for them. Top five. All right. <laughs> Reminder, we are still on Twitter. We are definitely on Instagram. Uh, and follow on Instagram too, at Mandovision, excuse me, at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. Instagram will probably have some fun stuff posted this weekend uh, from my personal life if you want to see it. I may post on, on there some stuff, travel things. We'll see how it goes. You can also email the show, MandovisionTom at gmail.com. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, following, and sharing the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. If you want to give us a sweet, sweet, sweet five star review, they truly help small independent shows like us stand out, not get lost in the shuffle, and we appreciate you taking the time to do that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you'd like to join Buckethead Nation and become an official Mandavision maniac, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash Mandavision. Join the maniacs and gain access to sweet, sweet, sweet bonus content. Thank you to our current Patreons, the Aspinel Chody, the Batman of Bayho, Jeff Nail. Jeff's got the ring in the air, a great podcast. Check it out. Thanks to Evil Circle, the evilest of all circles, the Squid Master General, Mr. Brian Bussard, the New Jersey Devil Mark Wegemer, the Beer Hop Brigadier General, Jesus Beer Hops, the Silent Assassin, he who should not be named, and Syndicate Ram, co-host of Come On Is So Good, and possible future guests of the show. We'll see. All right. Everyone, have a great holiday weekend. Go watch more Andor. What a delightful show this has been. And uh, anything I forgot to get to on this episode, I will get to on the next one. I promise. All right, my friends. You all take care of each other. 
Stay, stay, stay safe. Stay excellent. Have fun with your families if you're getting together with them. Uh, stay patient if you're getting together with your families. And we will talk so very, very soon. Remember, this podcast can only end one way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. I find that answer vague and unconvincing. <laughs>